Team, welcome back to the Built for Life podcast. I can't even remember what episode it is now. <laughs> oh. 14, 15. 14 or 15, I think I think it might be 15. We've been doing this for 15 weeks. That's a, that's good going. That's fucking consistency. That is. Um, you done something you said you were going to do for 15 weeks. Can you imagine where you'd be? <laughs> <laughs> but we have actually been gathering a lot of questions. Obviously, two weeks ago, we spoke a lot about emotional eating, the relationship you have with yourself and how that impacts it. And we did have other questions. <laughs> we have had other questions in the past. And we've just been kind of gathering them up in the background. And we thought this would be quite a useful episode to just kind of quick fire those questions at both me and Jane because some of the questions have been more physical based the others have been more psychologically based so we've had a really good mix and it's been quite good to see how many people essentially understand that me and Jane also have different roles here and the thing is we kind of can do each other's roles to some degree as well because we've worked alongside each other but there's sometimes I just have to call in Jane's expertise and there's sometimes Jane has to call in my expertise. But it's so good because you really do build like a real a real locker or arsenal of tools probably is the best way to put it. So we're going to kick off just with some fucking quick fire questions. Um, no pressure. Yeah. Okay. So I love this one because um, this is one that I have asked you countless times in the past, um, which is I'm sticking to my calories. Mm-hmm. And I've been sticking to my calories for the last four weeks, but I've not had any weight loss. I've not seen any drop in weight, but I've been sticking to my calories. And now I'm pissed off. And I want to jack it all in. What would you tell me? You're an alien. You clearly, <laughs> a calorie deficit clearly doesn't work for you. I mean, <laughs> there's no hope. There's absolutely no hope. <laughs> I mean, we knew that, but. <laughs> so there's a few things. First and foremost, I would always look generally at overall adherence right and no one likes this no one fucking likes it because they feel as if they're being challenged they feel like they're being attacked almost and I always do it in a very nice way it's not like you're fucking lying to me even the way that I frame it I will say listen have you had more stressful periods lately even though I probably will know that myself anyway from obviously talking to the clients and you'll know that as well or if you've maybe been a little bit more sleep deprived if you've had issues with family work all of these things create mindlessness not mindfulness mindlessness and people don't lie on purpose I really don't believe that people do lie on purpose but a lot of people will be making choices around the foods that they eat that they can't actually recall and Mm. it's so important to understand that both you and I have been there like obviously you've asked countless times but now when you look back you can actually recognize you know what I wasn't being truthful but it's not that I recognised that I wasn't being truthful at the time. I thoroughly believed I was doing everything I should, but but I actually wasn't. Like, I think when you're trying to achieve a goal, it's such a delicate subject. Like, some people will overeat, and if they've got a belief, essentially, that they've only eaten an, an amount of calories that's not going to be impactful to the result, they then still think they're deserving of the result. Whereas I'm like, well, listen, if you've given this 100% effort, then essentially the result will come. You just have to be patient. So if they have given 100% effort and they are telling me they are given 100% effort, there's numerous things to look at. Number one, obviously if it was a female, it would be your cycle. And it would be understanding if they're tracking that cycle because without the information, it's quite difficult to actually know where people retain more fluid. I had clients that actually in the past wouldn't lose any weight for like three or four weeks at a time. And then on week three, week four, would drop like seven pounds. You know, like you cannot you cannot dictate when that is going to fall off, right? Because the hydrodynamics in the body are so fucking complex and people don't recognize that when they step on the scale, it's other than just fat. 
right? They think it's fucking just fat. They think they're just a big blob of fat when it's not the case whatsoever. Water makes up between 55% to 70% of your overall body mass, right? And the biggest issue for most people is actually staying well hydrated as well, right? There's this whole thing of like, you need to get your two litres or your two and a half litres in per day. A sedentary female loses about 2.7 litres of fluid per day, right? So if you're someone who's training three, four times a week, if you're doing 10K steps per day, if you're running, do you think you only need 2.5 litres to stay well hydrated? And what happens when you are dehydrated? So you've got these things called osmoreceptors within the body that detects dehydration. What then happens is you release aldosterone. Aldosterone then takes sodium into the kidneys, retains more fluid, stops you from pissing. So guys, see when you're well hydrated and you drink a lot of water and you go, I'm fucking pissing like a racehorse. Versus when you've went through the day and you've only maybe pissed once or twice, you know you're not taking enough water because that process has happened. So it means that you are actually clinging on to water because your body needs water for fucking everything. Water is the main component of blood plasma and blood plasma makes up like 92% of blood. And that's basically what helps you transport proteins, nutrients, hormones around the body. So if you are restricting water and your body needs that vitally for you to stay alive, it's going to cling onto a fucking shit ton of water, you know? And it's so easy because many guys and actually mostly female as well will say, oh, I just feel so bloated. Like I've got this like pure bloat at the bottom of my stomach. And I'm like, yeah, because you are not fucking, you're, you're not hydrated because that's your bladder not want to take a piss because you have pulled back how much you can piss to retain that fluid. <laughs> like, it's as simple as that. So then I would look at that, look at hormones. Um, I would look at sometimes when they're weighing themselves. So see if people are, for example, on like a performance journey or they are splitting their calories across the course of the weekend. On the weekend, they are going quite carb heavy. You might have people that are going long runs at the weekend and they've carb loaded and then therefore they weigh themselves the next day or the day after and they've not actually evened out um, from that retention of water that comes with carbohydrates. So obviously when you retain glycogen, so you take in carbs, goes to glucose in the blood, you obviously can't have elevated uh, glucose in the blood because that will have an impact on your overall blood sugar. You take that and store it into the muscles and to the liver as glycogen, future forms of fuel that then gets released into the system. This is even why some people will say to me, can't train in an empty stomach, I've got no energy. And I'm like, okay, so what time do you train? And they're like, um, I train at 6am so I have something at six, uh, 5.45 and I'm like okay you've not had enough time to digest that food so all you're actually using is those stored glycogen storages anyway so actually what you're going off of is a placebo effect that if you don't eat you won't have the energy but you've not actually got the energy in your system by the time that you train because you're eating so closely to when you train <laughs> and this is where placebos are so um, a placebo effect can be both beneficial and if it works and you believe it and it's working for you and you're getting the results great but on the flip side it can be quite detrimental because it's almost like a a bit of a, a belief in a sense like the opposite to a, a a positive placebo effect is a placebo effect that essentially does not work and um, but you believe it will get you the results so you keep on doing it over and over again even if you're telling yourself a lie so you could be eating over your calories that we can and thinking that it's going to be okay and then you're not seeing the result on the flip side if you're not losing weight, and like I said, you could go four weeks without dropping weight. You could because of water retention. See if you start doing all of those things plus stick to your calories, it will drop. But most people get frustrated when the scale's not dropping because they know there's fucking something not going right, right? They're, but they can't be honest. Too much shame, too much guilt. They would rather just argue until they're fucking blue in the face than admit that they have not been adherent. And listen, 
I think people sometimes think that PTs are buttoned up the back, right? Some PTs maybe aren't as knowledgeable as others, but I have worked with some of the best names in the industry that, quite frankly say, from all the scientific research, and I still read scientific research to this day, that it's impossible not to lose fat in a calorie deficit. So cover all bases, and if you're still not losing fat, then there are gaps. You're 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 missing things somewhere. You're being mindlessness, mindless, mindless, instead of fucking being like mindful. That's the fucking fact of it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's psychological as well as it being physical, which I think um, people forget. You tell us that, but okay. Well, what's your? You can ask. What's the question? <laughs> what are the psychological things to consider when you are not losing body fat, but you think that you're doing everything to be in a calorie deficit? Okay, so um, I think there's there's a there's a pure fifty fifty, and that's because you believe, and this is the thing, right? When we talk about being honest about it, it's a hard concept to understand because people assume that as coaches, we think they're being dishonest, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not the case. When we talk about having an honesty level with yourself, it means increasing the level of awareness that you have with your routines, habits and behaviours that surround food, right? So anyone who tells me that they overeat, not binge eat, right? Anyone who tells me that they are an overeater, or that they are a snacker, I can guess when they're overeating and snacking, right, before they tell me, and then they think that I'm reading their mind. And I'm not reading their mind. I know that if they're doing these things, they're most likely conditioned responses. So they're conditioned behaviours to either their environment, they're having environmental cues, they're having time of day cues, they're having time of week cues, right? The, the eating that they are doing currently, the overeating that they are doing, exists most likely within a habit loop. And because it exists most likely within a habit loop, there is always a trigger for the behaviour, right? So, so much of this is in someone's conditioning, right? So we'll have classical conditioning where the, the behaviour is almost sort of trained into someone, right? Like the like Pavlov's dog is where all this psychology comes from, right? They ring the bell, the dog starts salivating because they know that they're about to get a treat. People do the same thing with the weekend, right? It's Friday night, it's the weekend, I'm going to start salivating because I'm about to start eating, right? Then on the flip side, we have operant conditioning. So operant, operant conditioning works in um, reward and punishment systems, right? So people know, people will start to do this with food as well. So if I go and do this training session, then I will reward myself with food, right? If I don't do it, I'm going to punish myself. I'm going to beat myself up and I'm going to undereat and restrict, right? So we follow this so much of um, our beliefs and behaviours around food are so inherently psychological and so instinctive that they operate entirely in our unconscious, right? The basal ganglia, which is the, the unconscious part of the brain who that runs pretty much everything without conscious thought, this is where habits and behaviour start to settle, right? So when we are saying to you, you can't be being honest about this, right? You go, oh my God, they think I'm a liar, right? You get fucking triggered, your limbic brain kicks in and goes fight them or run away and ghost them and never speak to them again, right? But in actual fact, 
it's being honest about your level of awareness around your habits, behaviours and routines around food that's the issue. Because if you only bring us 50% of the problem, we can only coach you in 50% of the solution, right? If you're not aware of the full extent of the challenge, we can't help you to resolve the full extent of the challenge. Because if you're only showing us what's above the water then we can only work with you on what's above the water. We can't work in the stuff that's beneath the surface. So actually, for you to change this, we have to be willing to consider everything that's happening in your unconscious. And that means being willing to have a heightened level of awareness purely from an experimental perspective around your habits, behaviours and routines around food. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to say to you, oh, you snack at the weekends, we'll just fucking stop it, <laughs> right? Because if it were that simple, we would all be able to do that, okay? Over time, we're going to encourage you to change it, but that has to happen by understanding the behaviour sequence that, that the behaviour sits within. We have to understand the pattern that it exists within for you because it will be different for different people, okay? So you might have some people who it gets to Friday night and they're like weekend mode, takeaway, that's it, it kicks off. Because they associate their weekend with downtime, right? They associate their weekend with taking a step back, chilling out. And that doesn't mean existing in the same structures and routines that they have during the week around being diligent with food tracking, diligent with their steps, diligent with their training, okay? They want ease off a wee bit at the weekend. Great, we encourage that, okay? All we ask is that you're up for willing, you're up and willing to try a way that works for you. Because I don't want you sitting eating fucking tuna pasta on a Saturday night, like beating yourself up because you didn't get that last two thousand steps. I want you to live your life, right? But we have to be realistic and understand the expectations that we create for ourselves versus understanding the inputs and the behaviours that surround it. So when we start to become a more more aware of what we're doing around the different times that we're eating, right? And how the behaviour changes. So if you're a weekend overeater, we have to understand what's your behaviour like with food during the week and how does that start to differ at the weekend, okay? So I always use the example of me with the biscoff, right? Because I think that had you had any hair, you would have been tearing it out of me, right? And I use this example because I was talking about how this time last year, and I was really, really struggling. My mental health was really not in a good place whatsoever. I was trying to build my business. I was just like stressed out my box all the time. I was in the same calories trying to um, lose weight then as I am now. And back then I was fucking starving, right? So I wasn't sticking to them because I was so hungry. Now I'm in the same calories, feel completely fine, right? Now, the reason for that is not physical. It's entirely psychological because what was happening is that because I was already in a difficult place, I was struggling to make the adjust the necessary expectations for what was realistic for me to be able to do with where my behaviours were at at that point in time, right? So something as simple as me having a toasted crumpet and biscoff, right? I couldn't compute the fact that when the, the crumpet was toasting, I was eating four tablespoons of Biscoff out the jar because I had a secondary behaviour that was happening after the primary behaviour, right? So my secondary behaviour was scrolling in my phone or talking to Paul or running a cloth around the surfaces or thinking about something, right? I was doing something else 
that was distracting me from the primary behaviour that I was doing at that point in time, that I didn't register psychologically the four tablespoons of Biscoff. Therefore, I didn't register it physically and when I was tracking it, right? So then when you're saying to me, Jen, the reason you're not losing weight is because you're not in a calorie deficit. I'm going, fuck you, because I've tracked my crumpet and Biscoff. You don't believe me, right? And all of a sudden it becomes this war between who's right and who's wrong when in reality I wasn't dealing with the full reality of the situation and you were only able to coach me in what I was bringing. So the challenge then becomes understanding what are my behaviours and routines around food, right? When I'm cooking dinner, am I picking at stuff in the cupboards because I've not eaten enough that day and instead of eating like something substantial, I eat fucking four skinny whips, like... Is that the reason that I'm then hungry and then I'm then turning to snacking well I'm before I'm, you know, actually getting to eat like a proper meal? Am I making dinner for the kids first before I make dinner for me? And then when they leave that stuff in their plates, I'm quickly shoving it in my mouth as I'm doing other stuff because I'm hungry and I'm distracted, right? Am I sitting down at night to watch the TV and instinctively just snacking because that is what I've always done? right? Is it the weekend and I want to enjoy a wee bit more flexibility with my food and I don't want to sacrifice, right, things like eating out. So I live in that binary of I either eat out and get the dirtiest thing on the menu or I stay in and I'm bored and I hate my life. So we really have to understand firstly the behaviour that sits beneath the activity and the belief that drives the behaviour because so much of overeating happens and I don't mean binge eating, that's a whole different ballgame but so much of overeating, snacking and the perception of being adherent in inverted commas happens in the unconscious that when we challenge it in your conscious you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? They don't believe me, right? We believe you but you don't believe us, (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's so true. And you know what's actually coming to mind for me right now? It's like when clients talk to me about, clients have talked to me in the past about um, how difficult it is to have things around the house and say no, and they just need more willpower. You've heard this countless times as well. Just need more willpower. And I'm like, willpower's bollocks, man. It's fucking a load of horseshit, right? Like, I lost willpower a long time ago, right? Willpower's like a tank of gas. It fucking empties very, very quickly. And the reason why most people can uphold high performance standards is because they understand their behaviors and they put systems in place to support them. That's why I would say to so many clients and you'll say the same, like if you're struggling and you're overeating and you are now aware of it, but you're maybe not aware of the behaviors that are leading you to it, let's just remove the food from the household until you can then stop and figure out why you're going. Like how many times have you removed things from the house and then you stand in front of the fucking sweetie cupboard and then it's not until that moment you pull yourself back and go, why am I here? Or you're in the fridge. You're in the fridge fucking looking for something. Why am I here? I do that every fucking day. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I do that every day. And it's why I don't have things in the house because people think we're like fucking robots. I'm like, no, if it's here, I am going to eat it. If there's a tub of peanut butter, it's gone. Biscoff, gone. Fucking Nutella, gone. If there's sweeties in the cupboard, gone. I can, I can stay around crisps all I want. I'm not much of a savoury guy. Um, so crisps can fucking stay there all day long or popcorn and that can stay there all day long. But see, when it comes to candy, chocolate, peanut butter, anything really sweet, mm. gone. it is gone. And that's why you do have to create that system if you're not yet aware of that behaviour because yeah. it's going to make you think. <laughs> yeah, 100%. 100%. And like, 
especially if you're then attaching emotion on top of this. So if you're attaching shame and guilt to the overeating, that's going to stop you from being consciously aware of it, right? Because as soon as you feel those deep emotions, you're going to go, I'm not going there, not registering that, not beating myself up, right? That old classic, I overate, but I'm not beating myself up. I'm moving on and I'm not looking at it. And it's like, no, we don't want you to beat yourself up. But we also need to be able to reflect on the situation objectively and say, what what went wrong here? Or what didn't go the way that I wanted to that I'm going to change it for next time, right? Because if we can't understand what happens in the situations that it doesn't go as planned for you, then we can't understand the circumstances surrounding the decision. And if we can't understand the circumstances surrounding the decision, we can't change it. So there's the whole willpower thing just really fucks me off endlessly. And I think like, when I think about running's a great example of this for me, like I said this to the guys, like 90% of the time that I ran, I didn't want to run. Like I loved once I was out a long run, once I'm over about the 3K barrier, love it, right? But for the first 3K, I always hate it because it takes a while for me to find my pace, find my stride, get my breathing right, to start feeling good, right? For the endorphins to kick in, that all takes time. So like at no point in my life will, I mean, maybe now because I can't run and I'm now like romanticising it, but like at no point in my life will being like, oh, it's Saturday morning, I've worked all week and I now need to go and run 15k, will that ever be like an attractive option, right? And I think even when you love health and fitness and you love, you know, pushing your body and you know the benefit it brings you, you still don't mind fucking doing it quite a lot of the time. And I'm not sitting here and saying, just fucking get it done, right? But understand a wee bit more around yourself and actually how do I build a better relationship with this? What is it bringing to me? Is it something I actually want? Or is it a goal I've set myself that I think that I should have, right? Because if I'm hating it and I'm not engaged with it, what am I doing it for, right? Just really getting to know yourself better, I think really sits at the pinnacle of this because um, you will always choose the information that reinforces the belief that's why it's so crucial to know what the belief is so that you can understand the information that you're selecting because if your belief is I have stuck to everything 100% you're only going to remember the information that reinforces that and discard the rest Yeah, could you maybe tell us and I'll tell you some of mine some of the areas now that you can reflect upon with clarity and more mindfulness where you now know that you overate, but you didn't realise that you'd done it at the time? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, so anything anything I eat after 8 o'clock at night, I think I had a belief in my head that my fitness pal shut at 8 o'clock at night. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, it was like the, shut, the shutters are done, hen. Whatever you're eating after this time, we're not interested in. Knock yourself out. Um, and I think a lot of the time... For me, snacking, snacking was always a big one because I almost like told myself that I had to have a good relationship with snacking, right? So it was almost like because I wasn't looking, I wasn't looking at my nutrition from a nourishment perspective, right? I was only looking at it from a how do I lose as much weight as I possibly can perspective. I was very much doing the if it fits your macros thing, right? Where I was like, it doesn't even matter anything that I eat as long as I lose weight, right? Now, for some people that works. For me, it really didn't because it just reinforced a negative relationship with food and a really poor understanding of how you will feel 
so much better <laughs> through a, a, a weight loss journey when you are focusing on more than just calories. Um, but for me, I was so hell-bent to recover my relationship with food that I believed that I had to have a better relationship with snacking. So I would have snacks in the house, multi-packs of stuff, right? And I would buy it all and I would put it all in the cupboard and then that, that was all I could think about. And um, when I was um, losing weight for the wedding, I can remember like trying everything possible like making up snack bags and sometimes that does work don't get me wrong like like almost sort of like portioning out snacks and having them if you're deciding you're going to have them but it was almost like I couldn't admit that it was controlling me so I had to I had to just remove it until I could control it again and I think as well you are going to be hungrier when you're in a deficit so I feel like putting options like that in my way were just fucking already tripping me up before I'd even had a kick at the ball. Like, and don't get me wrong, like now, like I will still have snacks, but I'll have like ice lollies because I know I won't eat more than one because I just won't want more than one. Whereas for me, crisps are like, crisps are a big trigger food for me because I used to binge on crisps. So because I know that's a trigger food for me, like I still eat crisps, but I can't have like a multi-pack or a shared bag in the house because I know no matter how I feel, right, even if I'm feeling great and I'm feeling, you know, good and in control, I'm either going to say no to them and then sit and fucking obsess over them, right, or eat them mindlessly. So so even if I only eat a certain amount, it's going to have a psychological impact either way because it's going to reinforce that food is scarce, you had to stop you can't have as many as you like. Right. So it's just, it's either way not going to be beneficial for me. Biscuits are another one. Um, because I know that because it's a trigger food, it's never I'm never going to be able to have the discipline around it in my own home at night when there's nobody else there. Right. If I was out in public, I wouldn't inhale a full bag, a full packet of digestives. But in my house, I absolutely would. So it's more about me understanding how I behave around certain foods and then how does that correlate to what I can have in the house. So I will have snacks in the house, but I'm now very aware of what kind of snacks I have and what I can and can't have. Um, so snacking was a huge one for me where I would allow myself a few and then I would have a few extra and then I would go, it's only 300 calories. That won't fucking count. That's not going to make a difference. But then you're doing that every day. <laughs> it does make a difference. Um, and I think for me, severely underestimating um, like the calories that were in things, especially when it was stuff that you couldn't actively track. So yeah. for a long time, see when my fitness pal had the scanner, yeah. I wasn't check. I wasn't always checking like weights like the the like the weight that I was scanning versus the weight that I was eating. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So like I might have tracked, oh well that says it's hundred calories for hundred grams, brilliant, and I was eating three hundred. Um wow. or I used to do this thing. I used to do the the thing that everybody does. So if you say you're not doing it, you're a fucking liar. Where you know you're eating out, you didn't plan your day of eating correctly leading up to it. You go for your dinner, you think you've got loads of calories to play with. You search it in my fitness pal. You don't have enough calories left available 
for the thing so you know you've overeaten so you just keep scrolling until you find something that meets the calorie elements that you want it to be and then you go I mean I stuck to my calories so I don't know what the fucking problem is right and I think just getting an understand I mean I used to work in restaurants so I've watched how chefs cook right and I think sometimes people forget that chefs do not cook with see if you're measuring your oil and your butter and your cream at home chefs are not measuring their eyeball and literally everything so like just dependent on the place dependent on the fucking chef you you don't know what's in that right but crucially that shouldn't stop you figuring out and enjoying your dinner either right but you just have to understand the input versus the output right so i might be guesstimating a thousand calories for this it could be 1800 though but i still want to get for my dinner and enjoy it and if i see a change in my output or my weight drop as a result of this then i'll be okay with that decision because i wanted to go out for my dinner so so it's it's i think it's i can do that now in the sense that i know i'm going out for my dinner this weekend i will track it as best i possibly can based on my years of experience of doing this but also if i then don't have a weight drop next week i'll know exactly why whereas before it felt like this like my fitness pal told me it was this many calories therefore it must be this many calories therefore this is ridiculous and i'm absolutely raging about the whole situation and it's like well actually that that was a stab in the dark but it was almost like i wanted it to be certain so i had just decided it was certain when actually it's no and that's where people then go i've been 100 adherent yeah <laughs> you know and it's so funny that you say that there because there's been so many studies done on um human beings and how they massively overestimate calories burned during exercise and massively underestimate the amount of calories in food especially when they're hungry so they've had studies where they basically ask people like how many calories are in this muffin when they're hungry and it's like 250 when they're satisfied after they've eaten how much is in this muffin 375 you know, so they start to overestimate the more that they've actually consumed food prior to then looking at that more multi-ingredient-based snack or food choice. And then with the overestimating calorie expenditure during exercise, which I think a lot of people are guilty for, where they'll maybe get more steps in one day and then they'll tend to overeat off the back of it and they think they've got this fucking shit ton of calories to use. Like, obviously... I don't know if we've actually spoke about it on here before, but basically when you're going through a process of change, you get what's described as metabolic adaptation. So you actually actively burn less calories as you go further into your transformation journey in comparison to what you did at the beginning. There's actually studies to show that when you lose 10% of your entire body weight, you can actually see 450 calories worth of adaptation per day. That basically means you're burning 450 calories less, less through your metabolic processes or through your actual exercise and your movement on a day-to-day basis. Now, if a pound of fat is relatively, um, let's just say compared to 3,500 calories worth of energy approximately, and you are burning 450 calories less per day on the same exercise and the same um, routine as you were before, there's a pound of fat straight away. (laughs) So what people don't realize is the more that they do something, the more skilled they get, the less calories they burn during it, right? So people who were getting 10K steps and burning 500 calories, even though we don't have a way to work that out, do not listen to your fucking smartwatch. They can be up to 93% inaccurate. They could they could have been burning 500 calories at the beginning of the journey. Now they might be burning 250, 300. Mm-hmm. So then they do an extra 10K steps and they think they burned 1,000 calories with 20K steps in one day when they've actually only burned 500 <laughs> or maybe 600. And I don't think people 
understand that 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 happens like people usually think when they're going through a journey when they have to do more when things get harder that actually means that they have more gaps as well to be more flexible and what i always say is the greater the athlete the greater flexibility and greater indulgences you can have there's so many people that look at athletes on social media and be like all they do is eat cakes and eat out and do this and i'm like yeah that's because these people train for a fucking living basketball players football players like personal trainers and coaches that run their own facilities and actually have a team running it for them and they just train constantly. You know what I mean? They train like three times a day and it's all high intense fucking endurance-based stuff along with fucking really heavy weights and functional-based fitness, conditioning, whatever you want to call it. They have more scope for indulgences because they have far more to give to that process on a daily basis. If you're fucking Mary and you're sedentary, you're work all day and you've got fucking two wins, you have to become okay with the reality of what you need to do to achieve your results. And the thing is, see, if you can't do more exercise, the further in that you get, and you are experiencing that metabolic adaptation, what you have to recognize is you could go from losing two pounds a week for four weeks to one pound a week for four weeks to half a pound a week for six, seven, eight weeks until you get to your goal weight. If you have a goal weight in mind, and you need to be okay with that because you will get less results for doing the same amount of work as you were previously. And yes, it's maybe unfair, but it's the fucking... It's the factor that you need to take into consideration and it's fucking just reality. And I think people really struggle with that. Like, well, I'm still putting in the work and it's like, yeah, well, you actually now need to put in more work or you need to be patient and let the work that you've always done give you the results, but in a longer time frame now. Yeah. That's it. And it's funny because I hear so many people regularly come to me and be like, okay, I've been doing my 10K steps per day. I've been eating these calories but I'm not losing any more weight. And I'm like, okay, so you might have to reduce your calories and increase your output. And they're like, but I can't do both. I can't do more. And I'm like, okay, we'll just decrease your calories. And they're like, but then I'm scared I'm not going to have enough calories to then go out and be flexible. And I'm like, well, if you really want to go, you, you can't be that flexible. Then, and th that's part and parcel. And I think people try and cheat the system too much, right? Yeah. And as you said, like, if you want to learn to go out and be okay with the fact that you've eaten and you've not lost scale weight, and you've eyeballed things and you've guesstimated it, then you can be okay with that choice, but you know that's what it was that actually hindered your progress. And then you can make the relevant decision again in the future if you want to make that choice, like what's more important to me right now, my results, or going out and having that meal. Now, if your results are the top priority and you fucking are certain of that fact, you need to accept these sacrifices. And it is literally as simple as that. You cannot complain about doing more and being asked to give more of yourself to a process when it's a physiological demand that needs to happen for you to actually achieve the final outcome. And I think people do think, as you were talking about expectations before, people really do think that they are deserving of a specific outcome, even though they've never had any evidence for what that looks like. You know, I remember when I went through my first bodybuilding prep and I was dieting for like 20 weeks and see come week 12, I was like, why am I not ready yet? I had no evidence to say that in that 12 weeks I should have been fucking shredded. People were actually telling me that they didn't think I was going to be ready in time at 18 weeks. And I was like, I fucking dieted for 18 weeks. Like, how are other people in this shape? And I'm not. In the last two weeks, like, I actually dug so deep that so much turned around. I dropped like 12 pounds in like fucking eight or nine days. And then I came in looking fucking better than half the cunts. You know what I mean? Because I never knew of the changes that would have been happening at that two-week point prior to then stepping on stage that actually adapted my body incredibly well when I was doubtful of the process previously. And people really get in their own way of seeing great progress that could just be a week around the corner or two weeks around the corner. As you were saying, if you are 100% adherent with your scale weight, by the way, 
and sorry, your your nutrition and your scale weight is not changing. You could be a week or two away from losing four, five, six, seven pounds. You could be. But see if you don't let yourself see that by staying 100% adherent and just wanting the result now, you'll never actually see the evidence that you need in the patterns. And we've spoken about this before. We are, some people sometimes, <coughs> excuse me, um, aren't consistent enough to understand the fluctuations in scale weight because their consistency is always like a fucking roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. And that's funny, like that's something that I said to you that um, happened to me for quite a long time is that when I had a poor relationship with the scales, it was because I really knew in my subconscious that I wasn't being adherent. So the scales were almost evidence that correlated with that, that then made me volatile about it. Yeah. Whereas now, because I know I'm adherent the vast majority of the time, if I do have a scale weight fluctuation, I can explain it. Like I know um, like scale weight has gone up for me this week because I know I'm retaining more water because of the point in my cycle that I'm at. And that's happened at this point in my cycle for as long as I have been doing this. So I know factually that is what it is. So I don't need to argue it with a feeling because I know the fact that underpins it. Whereas when you're disregarding or you're maybe avoiding the facts, you're going to drive all of this off of the basis of feeling. Um, and actually that made me think about um, the next question and it's also something that I used to truly believe as well uh, for you, which was um, if I'm not sleeping properly and I'm stressed, is that stopping me from losing weight? So can your does your body stop losing fat if you're not sleeping properly and you're high in stress? No. Right. And uh, it's funny because I actually seen a coach I know uh, very well say something on this subject recently and people started fucking losing their heads on it and I actually thought it was a, a an amp description. I don't know why people started going off their nut quite as much as they did, but people are just fucking, they, they would jump down anyone's throats. I can see how it's a sensitive subject, but he was just making a comparison to make people realise that it's completely fucking false. He basically said when people were in Auschwitz, for example, and they were not getting any sleep and they were stressed, it's not like they were maintaining their weight or putting on body fat because they were hardly getting fed. They were losing weight at a rapid level and they were losing consistent body fat, right? And he used that example and I was like, very true. Like that is a, a primed example to talk about, even though it's a very sensitive subject. Like if you are in some form of fucking torture chamber, if you have been caught, if you're a prisoner of war, like there's been so many people like that. I've talked about James Stockdale a couple of times within the programme, and he was like a prisoner of war um, in the Vietnam War for like seven years. When they got him back, he'd fucking lost so much weight. They, they broke his leg, they tortured him, they waterboarded him like for so long. He'd lost so much weight, and he basically slept in a seven foot by seven foot like fucking horrible cell with this light on all the time. And he, he said he hardly slept. Like, he would always fall, doze off. They would wake him up because that's a form of torture. How did he end up coming back from that fucking scrawny as fuck? Because he lost body fat because he wasn't then consuming calories to replace what he was losing, right? So it makes it harder. It makes it harder depending on, again, your behaviours from a stress perspective. Because if you're stressed, you'll have one or two people, people that eat out of stress. And again, they don't quite recognise that they're doing it. Or you'll have people that do not eat from stress. That's why a lot of people that go through 
really difficult times at work within the relationships and you see them and you go, are you okay, by the way? You're looking awfully, you're looking awfully thin. You know, it's because they're stressed and they're not eating and they're probably living off fucking caffeine, right? And that is then suppressing hunger. That's why a lot of people will live off caffeine, but then it's affecting sleep. So then they're showing up and their fucking energy's through the floor, mental health's through the floor, but they're just trying to show up and put that smile on and have that brave face. Sleep, again, sleep has been shown. Sleep is a, a difficult one because obviously sleep is your number one regenerative process known to man. Helps you consolidate memories, improves cognitive function because it gets rid of any toxins in the brain while you sleep. It helps with muscle recovery. It basically helps strengthen the entire body. That's the best way to, to describe it and replenish your whole body. But with sleep, it has been even proven in studies that the people that sleep less usually lose more weight, not because they're sleeping less, but because their behaviours after not sleeping well completely change. It's actually even been proven that more people will eat foods that are more sweet and, and flavour and more palatable after they have poor night's sleep in comparison to when they don't. So you might be someone who's savoury, like you said, Jen, then after a bad night's sleep, you just want to eat fucking sweet stuff. So true. I like literally that happened to me like two weeks, like a week or maybe ago, where I was like, I could really just go like something like it was almost like this pure strong craving, but I knew it was because I hadn't slept. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's just because it's because you're it's because you're tired and fucking what sugar is a carbohydrate, right? And and your brain functions off carbohydrates. And what's the quickest type of carbohydrate to get into the bloodstream? Sugar. <laughs> like so sucrose, you know? So your brain is just demanding it from you. And also when it comes to um, what we're saying about sleep there, is it's shown that like the palatability of like your taste buds change for like the food that you want. But it, it makes it harder because it, it then increases like the, the chance of these behaviours to come to the surface. And again, a lot of them can be quite subconscious. You won't realise, you won't recall them, all of that sort of stuff. But it doesn't actually stop you like physiologically from actually losing body fat. It's Bullshit. Even when they done the, what was the name of the study? Uh, the Minnesota starvation study. Uh, experiment. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. that's was the it word. a secret experiment? No, yeah, no, 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 the star, the starvation one, the Minnesota starvation one. I like where the that was back in like nineteen fifty three or fifty seven. I want to say where they basically like totally um, reduced caloric intake for all these guys um, in the study. And only fed them like a limited amount per day. And there's pictures of them. They are fucking anorexic almost, you know. And it was to show that your body, when you starve it, it doesn't fight back because it's in starvation mode. It doesn't hold yeah. up. That, that was the whole point of it. Um, but again, when people have beliefs in place that they think otherwise, then they'll never see the real, the real truth if they're not willing to see the real truth. Because how many times have we had people tell us that they're eating a thousand calories, twelve hundred calories, when really it's like, no, we know that you think you're eating that, but there's behaviors and there's habits with this elsewhere that you're not recognizing that is essentially stopping you from losing weight. But then you think as a result of that that everything works for everyone else when it doesn't work for you because you don't have that level of consciousness to recognize it. And like I would do that on the basis that I was eating 1,000 calories a day when I was tracking calories, right? But then if you're not actually tracking them, then you can't say that you were consistently eating 1,000 calories because I used to believe that I was eating 1,000 calories a day and not losing weight, but I was eating 1,000 calories a day maybe three days out of the week that I was actually tracking them. <laughs> and that's probably how long you could get on those calories anyway through yep. sheer just discipline and drive 
willpower. Yeah, there's your willpower. There's your fucking willpower. Um, what about habits? How long would you say on average it takes to build a new habit when people ask you that question? Oh, I hate that question. As long as it fucking takes. <laughs> there you go, in a nutshell. There's loads that, so my challenge with habits um, is that people people confuse habits and behaviours, right? So your habits will influence your behaviours, your behaviours will change your habits, right? So they almost kind of exist in this relationship with one another. And people often think that their habits are the problem, right? So they'll say to me, I just need to get better habits. And actually, it's not your habits that are the issue. It is the behaviours that drive them, right? So how you behave habitually, right? You can have three habits that are driven by the one behaviour, okay? So you need to change your behaviour, right? Everybody hates to hear it. We know from theory that behaviour change can take 12 18 months on average right it's different for different people and situations some people successfully change and sustain a behavior in six months okay it just depends on the person the behavior how rooted how rooted it is in their um, psychology their sense of self their self-esteem their core beliefs right it's all if it's linked to trauma if it's linked to childhood right it's it's dependent on so many different factors but i think that People created this perception of habits, habit building is like productivity, right? It's sold to, to people quite a lot. So people here, I want to be more productive and it's like, be productive in 30 days and you're like, woohoo, right? So habits are sold in the same way and self-help books are whatever where you can build a habit in 21 days you can break a habit in 21 days and then reality it's all dependent on how strong the neural pathway is that is that's facilitating the habit right so for some people you can have like adverse events that will cause them to immediately stop engaging with a behavior completely so we see this happen quite a lot with people if they have a health scare the health scare can be so severe that they will immediately stop engaging with the behaviour and they will never re-engage with it again, right? It's rare for quite a lot of people that it will happen that severely. Great example of this is my mum-in-law. So my father-in-law had a heart attack and my mum-in-law stopped smoking and has never touched a cigarette since, right? Because that was such an adverse event that was so scary that she made the decision that I'm just not doing this any longer, right? So smoking will have existed for her in a habit loop, right? That was a behaviour and an activity that existed within a habit loop. She chose not to replace it with anything, right? So that is the hard, like, grit way to do it, but she is a very determined <laughs> determined and headstrong woman, so I have no, like, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that she was able to do that, right? So for some people, they can immediately stop engaging with a behaviour. For the vast majority of people we have to almost hack into a pre-existing habit loop for the behaviour to actually be able to change, right? So if you have had a habit for 15 years, right? If you have drank every single weekend for the last 10 years, it's no longer that you just like a drink at the weekend. It's that you are driven by an instinctive need to drink at the weekend that when you're not doing it, it will feel so alien because the neural pathway that exists in your brain that tells you it's the weekend, let's get pissed, is so strong because it's been used so many times. 
So the more a neural pathway is uh, used, it creates a myelin sheath in the brain. And the more that's used, the stronger and stronger and stronger it gets, right? So when you're trying to change your brain circuitry and build new habits, you're trying to redirect the pathway, okay? So instead of building a new pathway, we can almost redirect an existing one. So this would mean when it gets to the weekend, instead of drinking, you replace it with a different activity. So your brain still gets the cue of knowing it's the weekend, right? The routine changes, instead of drinking, we go fucking skydiving, right? The reward remains the same. You get a huge rush of dopamine. You genuinely enjoy it. You have loads of fun, right? So it takes time for your brain to redefine rewards, especially if you've engaged with like really high dopamine activities. This is why people become addicted to things like porn, gambling, drinking, drugs, like all of those things that pure flood your system. Depending how long you've been engaging with that, it can be really, really hard for your brain to learn other things are fun, right? Whereas for extremely boring people like me and you, something that sounds like hell on earth to someone else, we're like, yes, that's brilliant because we don't engage with those like really high value activities, right? So if you're someone who has drank every single weekend for your entire life and you want to stop drinking at the weekends, you have to give your brain a viable alternative. If you're telling yourself, I'm going to stop session and I'm going to just climb Tinto every weekend, your brain's going to go, fuck that. You might sustain it for four weeks. It's going to become very boring. You're going to go straight back to, to source. So if you actually want to change the behaviour, right, you need to build new habits that are constructed around the new behaviour that you're trying to create. So environment's a huge part of this, being surrounded by other people who are engaging with the behaviour or people who you know who are already good at it, right? Get in touch with your pals who are not your drinking buddies, like your actual pals who do shit with their lives and do shit at the weekends. Um, and removing yourself from any environments that are going to trigger the behaviour, right? So if you go to the Fitbit, you get on a bus, go into the Fitbit, like all of those environments are all ones you go to the pub after, all of the ones are always going to be ones that are conducive that are centred around alcohol. If you meet all your pals in the pub at the weekend, change the environment in which you meet your pals, right? Still meet up with your pals, still have the fun, still have the crack with them, but go to a coffee shop, go to a fucking, I don't know, library, right? Whatever you decide you want to go. But almost help yourself to still engage with the rewarding parts of the activity, but in line with the behaviour it is that you're trying to create and away from the behaviour that you're trying to change. Because if you go from going out in session with your pals every weekend to I'm going to sit in on my own, that that's not going to work. Your brain's going to go, this is shit, I don't want to engage with this. It's going to perceive it as a threat and it's going to encourage you to move away from it. Whereas if you add in something else that serves as both a distraction and a source of joy, it's not going to feel like you're missing out or losing out on something. And the more you use that new neural pathway, it gets to the weekend and you go, what's the fun thing that I'm doing this weekend as opposed to all oh, my pals are out drinking and I'm sitting in on my own. I, you know, it's so funny because what I found when I stopped going out drinking with my pals was a, the MCU, like Marvel. <laughs> and there was so many movies I had to catch up on. So basically every Saturday night, I was like, I'm going to watch one of these movies. And it kept me taking over for like 12 weeks. And it was fucking so good because I was actually buzzing. So I was like, can I wait for the next one? Then see when I watched the second one and I realized I had a connection to like the first one I watched. I was like, oh, these all connect together. I was like, what the f- <laughs> and I was fucking buzzing or I'd get like a new Xbox game or yeah. I'd start a new like a new uh, career mode in an yeah. Xbox 
game and so on and so forth. And I think everyone will enjoy different things. Obviously, not everyone's going to enjoy fucking Marvel movies, movies. Not everyone's going to enjoy watching TV series. Um, not everyone's going to enjoy fucking PlayStation games, Xbox games, all the rest of it. But yep. everyone can find something. And that was going to be my next point, is that when you're experimenting with a new behaviour, it should be new activities that you've not engaged in before, right? So what you've done there is behavioural experimentation. What you've given your brain is something new, new information, something new to figure out that is fun and that is exciting and that is interesting. So once you're on the fifth one and you realise that they all connect, you're like, brilliant, and my brain's then craving the information that comes from the next one because your brain loves to solve puzzles and piece things together, right? So if you're watching a six-part fucking series, right, a whodunit, this is why our brains love, like, murder mysteries, whodunit, this is why people love all this stuff, because your brain absolutely loves to take bits of information and make it fit all together, right? Gives you big insights on stuff, like the, the, the neurochemicals that come through when you piece all of this stuff together and you're like, oh my God, I figured it out, I know the answer, right? Your brain absolutely loves it. So if you can engage with a new activity and a new behaviour that you haven't tried before, you know that it's your brain's going to start to crave that instead because it's fun and it's exciting. And this is where behavioural experimentation comes in because you're trying out the new behaviour, you're trying out the new thing, you're reflecting on it and saying, did I enjoy that? How much time will I give this before I know if I've enjoyed it? What did I like about it? What did I dislike about it? And then where will I go next? So this is why we talk all the time about change happening through experimentation because if you're telling yourself, I'm going to stop engaging with this fun thing that I've always loved and just go to the gym instead, if you currently don't see the gym as a fun alternative, you're not going to want to engage with it. You're going to feel like you're losing out. Whereas if you can get your Xbox out, if that's what you're into, if you can go and take up a new hobby, a new activity, like go and do something that one of your pals is into that you've always thought is mental, but just go and do it for a laugh and see what happens. You're engaging your brain with new activity, new information that's a distraction from the old behaviour and what you're not doing and helps you to create a new neural pathway and redefine what your reward system looks like. I actually had a client before, right? That was all gold, by the way. Fucking brilliant. Like, so good. Hopefully you guys are all sitting there pure mind fucked, feeling like you need to stroke a furry wall. Like, and- <laughs> and bring you back down for your fucking high moments you're currently having but i had a client before who was like i'm gonna i'm gonna stop going out at the weekend and go to the gym on a saturday and he then started to realize that at the same time on a saturday night when he went to the gym this really attractive girl went to the gym at the same time and he was like that is keeping me fucking like i want to go to the gym every saturday like i've not spoke to her that but every week i'm like hopefully she's there this week hopefully she's there this week hopefully she's there this week and actually, they, they did become a couple. I don't know if they're still a couple today, but it just goes to show because he was obviously going every week, like trying to solve that puzzle of how can I talk to her? How can I not make this creepy? Like, obviously, if she's here as well, she's in the same wavelength. She doesn't want to be going out. She doesn't want to be drinking. She doesn't want to be your party. And she's trying to like progress the same way that I am. And he obviously got so engrossed in that that it kept him wanting to go back for more. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's a new, exciting thing, right? new possibility, new behaviour, new environment, crucially as well, right? Totally different environment that doesn't, that is not conducive to the old behaviour, but facilitates the new one. And then other people 
who are as interested as in you as interested in it as you are right which is why somebody asked me the other day um like how we have so many clients who are like running half marathons running marathons doing fucking triathlons and like all these major like physical performance like feats and how how do we get people to do that and I was like well we don't get them to do it we don't suggest it right really like we would never be like you've joined our program now it's time for you to run a marathon what happens is that people come into the community and they see what other people are doing and they go well if they're doing that here can I do that here right so we went from like a community where maybe there was the odd person like kind of running here and there to lockdown if they started running if they started enjoying running like me and you were like you were running I was running and then all of a sudden we're like a fucking running club like we have what 15 people 15 people running half and full marathons at the end of May right and it's not that we've said you're now built for life therefore you're now fucking running for your life it was actually that they came into the community and watched the physical performance goals being set by other people and believe that by being in this environment they can do that too and and that's all it, it creates is a sense of belief that if i'm here i can achieve this right guidance from other people who have done it before and support from other people who are going along it and doing it doing it at the same time as you so it's actually bred into the culture of what we do not because we set the expectation but because it's obvious to other people yeah one thing we do do though is if someone goes um like i might just try and run a 5k we're like 10k if they're like half marathon like (laughs) (laughs) just because we know we can stretch it though because we know if they're already willing to do that because they've seen other people do it that they'll be able to surprise themselves even more and go the distance and they're just playing small but it's so true and those environmental cues are such a a positive when you look at it in that way just like they could be such a negative from a poor adherence standpoint you don't recognize it when you're not really being as mindful as you can be and you're creating all these behaviours from obviously baseline beliefs that you have that are stopping you from progressing in the way that you want to. Um, It's also interesting. And the thing is, I actually hope people listening understand the complexity of actually what goes into coaching now. Like, if you're not getting people looking at your process or your journey in this way and you feel like you're stuck, then you need to seek the right help because there's, there's so much more sophistication in the market these days, people can spend bullshit a mile away. People have tried and tested things. They've not been successful. If you have been successful, they've not been able to sustain it because they don't have information like this. And yeah. I think you and I, because I know you will do this, so I'm speaking for you here. Like when something comes through, a message comes through from a client, we are analysing everything they have ever said to us, anything that they have ever came to us with as a problem, anything they, they have celebrated we're looking at fucking the emojis, the question marks, the explanation marks. We know how they type and we're thinking on our head, right? How are they thinking right now? How are they feeling? What could they be missing? How do we approach this based upon how they've came to us with this message? Because I can tell it's maybe a little bit more antsy than it normally would be. Do I need to give them more compassion? Do I need to give them more empathy? And we do this, I think, quite intuitively now, just through years of practice that almost we go through all these different fucking loops in our head and it's like a, a mind map almost. <laughs> and then we start to pull from it what we will and then go back to the person. And we don't always get it right because we're not fucking perfect. But 
there's so many like hardwired circuitries in there that we have to consider. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just about knowing that like that there is a real depth to our progress because as a human being, you're already intelligent. So yeah. like so because we come from the perspective of you understanding everything in depth about the body and me trying to understand as much as I can in depth about the mind, we are using the synergy of both of our expertise to create a process that looks at you as a whole person. And I think this is maybe the the trick that a lot of people miss is that they're only trying to help you fix or change that one thing that you said you wanted to fix or change. But in reality, we understand that the whole is more than the sum of its parts. So actually, we we need to help you to transform as a whole person for changing that part to even matter and to actually even be sustainable. And that means looking at you as a whole person, every element of your life, right? I want to know about your life. I want to know about your kids. I want to know your family, your job. I want to know everything so that when you come to me with a message, I can take that information in the context of your whole self. And like we, we do have the processes that we use that do just kind of happen quite intuitively but they happen intuitively because we're understanding you as a person instead of trying to fit you into our process it's more about how do we take the elements of our process that you need to get what you want um but there is a major level of depth there in the way that we approach it because we want you to get the best result possible and never have to do this again. You know what I mean? I, I, once you've done this, I want you to only grow from here. I don't want you to have to go through this again. I want you to never need us again in your life, right? Like how many people still reach out to you and say, I've left the programme two, three years ago and I'm still thriving and I'm still doing great. That's a marker of success for us that you should never need to come back. So for, for us to make sure that's possible, we have to take everything that we know about you as a person and help you apply it in that depth so that this is the last time that you ever go on this part of your journey right that your journey in the future is just everything you're doing now but a level up a level up yeah i couldn't agree more do you know what i'm laughing at um we say quick fire questions and i think we <laughs> have four questions in like an hour <laughs> we don't do anything fucking quick I don't there's nothing I thought we were going to get through like 10 questions. Oh. <laughs> Fucking ignoramus, man. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. That was just, that was your expectations that were off there. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think subconsciously, always that whole thing of like, I want the result and I think I'm going to get the result, but I know I'm overeating because I knew somewhere in there we were just going to be fucking talking, not a shite, good shite, good shite yeah. on every single question. But I think we'll round up there because that was a lot. That was a lot um, for people. And I think we can probably carry this over to a part two. Um, unless we get inspired by something else to record next week instead of part two. Yeah, which we probably will. <laughs> like, the thing is, like, see, with everything that's going on and what we're talking about, like, it's so easy to draw inspiration from things that we are working on with people each and every single day to speak about this stuff because this is the level of precision you should be looking at problems with, you know, and this is the, the sort of depth and detail you should be going into. So if you're not getting that support, you know where we are. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and also, like, if you are a listener, even if you are 
your clients you're not a client you're just somebody that likes listening you're a coach like if you have things that we've mentioned that you think I would really like to know more about that um, or things that you think that haven't been covered that you would like to hear our perspective and our opinions on um, then please just like send us a DM like because it would be really helpful to know as well like obviously we think we know <laughs> what's relevant um, but it would be good to know what people want to hear as well because I think it just means that we we are really here to like give what we can that's going to make a difference to what you're working on the now whether you're working with us or not right so it, it's about making sure that we are adding value I suppose in areas in our willingness to talk about things I suppose in depth that maybe other people aren't um, I don't think there's a thing, single thing that's happened to us in our lives that we've not spoken about in this podcast and we're 15 episodes in so <laughs> um, tell us what you want more of if you want more life chats if you want more is taking the piss out of each other um, if you want more deep in-depth knowledge like we'll make it happen yeah 100% we're up for anything um, some of these requests are going to be weird now I can already yeah. tell don't get weird, guys. Don't make it sectarian because Jen's just about to leave to go to a Celtic game. <laughs> Celtic women's game. Um, Listen, at least somebody's watching their team win. That's all I'll say. I know, I know. It's fucking, it's been a shambles lately. We'll, we'll just we'll just end that there. For some, <laughs> some reason, I only quote Celtic fans, even though I'm a Rangers fan, and it's fucking horrific. I don't know why all the Rangers fans don't want to come at me. <laughs> you just still love, love to watch people being happy. That's all. Aye. Nah, fuck off. <laughs> we're <laughs> going to round off there, guys. Uh, we'll see you again next week. And as always, please share, reach out, and um, shout about the podcast if you love it from the, from the hilltops. But we'll see Absolutely. you next week, and have a good one. Bye.